Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. The title of my message tonight is, I'm going to be, no, I'm gonna be a history maker. Can you say that with me? Yeah, like if you're old enough, you know the song. Can you say, I'm gonna be a history maker. Amen. Was it delirious? Yeah. Go home and listen to it. So good. I'm going to be a history maker. I've been thinking lately, not lately, probably the last year and a half, about the time that we have here on earth. You and I have limited time. We don't know when our end date is. But if we did, like if you knew you had 12 months left, what would you do? Some of us would go blow it. I'm just going to go nuts. I'm going to go crazy. But the more responsible ones of us would probably take a different approach. And I decided that if I only had 12 months to live, I would try to make a mark. I would try to live my life in the last 12 months to make an impact. I would try to do, I would spend every day like as if it was almost my last. And do you know that's actually how we're supposed to live? Because none of us know. None of us actually know when our last day is going to be. So how would you live if you only had one year left? Here in the second row here, we've got grade 11s who are going into grade 12. You guys have one year to turn your school around. One year. What are you going to do in that one year? All of us, how will we live 2023? As if it was our last, how would we spend it if we actually realized our time was limited? Because it is. And some of us take for granted that things are just the way they are. They just are the way they are. Like some people are just successful. Culture just happens. Growth just happens. But it actually doesn't. There are some of us who go, hang on, how come things are the way that they are? How come... That person is the way that they are. How come they live in that blessing? How come the culture is the way that it is? Some of us ask questions. One of my favorite quotes by Bernard Barak says this, millions saw the apple fall, but Newton was the only one who asked why. Story goes, he was sitting under an apple tree, an apple fell out and hit him on the head, and he went, what causes everything to fall downwards? And it was Newton who gave us the law of gravity. But millions saw apples fall. He was just the only one that went, hang on, how come? Why? And we need to be those sorts of people. If our lives are going to make an impact, we need to realize that not everything is just happenstance. Your destiny is not a place you end up. Your destiny is something you create. And so we have to be the ones that ask the questions. Why is 
it the way that it is. And if that's the case, what can I do tomorrow, today, to guarantee my tomorrow or to affect my tomorrow? Culture, unity, growth, success, they're not just occurrences that happen by happenstance. There are rhymes and reasons to everything you and I walk into and out of. It didn't just happen. It was created. But if you can't define the answer, you and the people around you can't run with it. You and I, if we're going to be intentional, need to be clear. We need to be clear about where we're going, how we're going to get there, what we're going to do to get there. We need to be clear. We need to be clear in order that we can achieve what we want to achieve. Otherwise, we'll just wake up one day and have made zero impact or little impact. I heard Dan O'Farrell once say he's met many 70-year-olds. How did you say it? But they're not actually 70-year-olds. They're just people who've lived the same year 70 times. How sad. How sad to get to 70 and have lived your 13th year over and over and over and over as a 13-year-old. Do you know many people do? There are many 70-year-olds who still think and behave like 13-year-olds. They've got gray hair, they've got false teeth, but they still think and behave as teenagers unless you are clear about where you're going, unless you are clear about what it is you want to achieve with your life. I'm going to be a history maker. I'm going to be a history maker. I don't know about you. That's a choice I've made, and so I need to sort of go, well, how? Why? Who's going to go with me? How am I going to get there? What do I need to stand for? What do I need to give up? What do I need to put around my life to ensure that I get to that destination? Habakkuk 2.2. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain, so that he who reads it can run with it. Write the vision, make it plain. Have you sat down and written out a vision for your life? Have you got a life verse that you live out of? Have you plowed the scriptures and decided that defines my life and I'm going to live out of that? Write the vision, make it plain so that he who may run who reads it. Our City Point mission is to... Very good. Unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. Write it down, make it plain, unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3 says, A dream comes about through much activity. A dream comes about with much activity. A fool's voice is known by his many words. That second statement is another message all on its own. Okay, a little less conversation, a little more action. But a dream comes about with much activity. If you just have a dream and you don't have a strategy for it, it's just a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. But a dream in the Lord actually comes about with hard work, devotion, clarity, vision, strategy, goals. A dream comes about with much activity. The famous Lee Matthews said this, You're given the title of leader because that's what you do. 
rather than us giving you a title and then expecting you to do the things. Leadership is who we are. We lead ourselves. People, some people just sit around waiting for a title to be given to them, but that's the wrong approach. Do it before you get the title. Embody it before anyone recognizes it in you. Just do it. Don't wait for someone to go, hey, you should A, B, C, and D. Just get up tomorrow morning and do it. Doesn't matter who gives you permission, just get up and do it. Don't wait for the titles. Get up and get going. You don't need a title to make a difference and to have influence. You don't. In fact, it's way easier to lead without a title. Way, way easier. And my favorite quote, something I live by, the great Winston Churchill said, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. Don't wait for someone else to write your story. Don't wait to play into someone else's narrative. History will be kind to me because I'm going to write it. I'm the one that's going to write the narrative. I'm the one that's going to write history. So it's going to say good things about me because I'm writing it. I'm writing it. And so tonight, I want to talk about how. How do we, we don't just turn up in culture. You and I have the opportunity to create culture. If you're just turning up, can I call you to a higher standard? You're called to set it. You are called to set culture, to set culture. And so we're going to talk about four cultures that we're called to set as followers of Jesus, whether we are leaders by title or not, no matter where we are, in the home, in the workplace, in the school, in the friendship group, we are called to set culture. Martin Luther King Jr. said, a genuine leader is not the searcher for a consensus, but the molder of consensus. Don't look for it and bow down to it. You mold it. You turn up everywhere you turn up and you create the culture of that space. You walk in wherever you walk into and you determine the spiritual atmosphere of that room. Every conversation you're in, you set the culture of that conversation. If it's in the gutter, get it out of the gutter. You are the molder of consensus and that's how we become history makers, my friends. We don't just shy away and go, oh, well, that's what everyone else is doing. Who cares what everyone else is doing? I'm writing history. I'm setting culture. And so the first culture you and I are called to set is the culture of faith. Above everything, the culture of faith. What does that mean? Everywhere I go, I have expectation. I'm never walking into any space and thinking, oh, it's just school. Oh, it's just the supermarket. Oh, it's just another day in the office. No, I'm walking into every setting with this sneaky suspicion that God's about to do something. I have a culture of faith. I have a culture of anticipation and I'm waiting for evidence of God everywhere I go. I'm looking for His fingerprint on every single situation. I have a culture of faith. I'm never complacent enough just to think this is just another day. 
I'm setting culture and I have a culture of faith. The Bible says, knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. You're only going to do those things if you expect. If you have anticipation. Well, I'm knocking because I know there's something on the other side of this door. I'm asking because I know God's got good things in store. I'm seeking because I know God only hides himself so that we'll look. Not so he can't be found, but the Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I just have to turn my face towards him and he's right there. So I'm seeking. I'm seeking because I have a culture of faith. With God, nothing is impossible. Luke 1.37 says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That can be read two ways. That God can do impossible things, but also that it's impossible for God to do nothing. With God, nothing is impossible. He can't do nothing. And so if He can't do nothing, then He's always up to something. Always up to something. It amazes me that two people can sit in the same church service and one walks out having been completely untouched and the other one's like, God just turned my life upside down. You're like, were you in the same room? It's a difference of anticipation, expectation. It's the posture of your heart when you walk in. Are you seeking, knocking, asking, or are you walking in complacent? A culture of faith. I have a deep knowing that God is always on the move. God is never standing still. He's always on the move. It's up to me to be on the same side as Him and keeping up with Him and looking for Him. But I have a culture of faith that He's always on the move always on the move. This here, my friends, is a place where anything can happen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that anyone who walks in to this auditorium can be transformed by the power of God? Do you believe that healing can take place just by His presence? Do you believe that revelations can be had just by a person surrendering? Do you believe that mind shifts can be changed, transformation can take place? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit can do anything in this place? This is a place where anything can happen, physically and spiritually. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I believe. I'm moved by what I believe. And I have discipline in my life to make sure that what I believe continues to move me. We can get very complacent. Oh, it's just chapel. No, no. God's on the move. Oh, it's just, it's just, just, just. No, God is on the move. And I'm expecting everywhere I go, we set a culture of faith. When I was getting my life back on track as a 19-year-old, I remember I walked into the City Point Carindale location as a backslidden young adult. A friend from uni looked me in the eye and he said, Carolina, you just got to get your life back on track. And I was like, I know. 
you know, sometimes you just, you get called out. He called me out. And he said, well, come with me to City Point. I go to City Point. And so I went. And I sat over to the side and I was just a face in a crowd. And there was a woman song leading. Her name was Wendy McDonald. Wendy and Tim now run our City Point West campus. And at that point, you know, I had started to get my life back on track, but I found out that I had a physical condition. And the doctors told me that the physical condition I had was going to prevent me from ever having children. And they said, your condition is so serious that we need to do surgery urgently, otherwise it will become cancer and it will take your life. I was 19 years old. And I remember standing off to the side in worship, and I didn't know this, but Wendy, who was song leading, had just gone, she was currently going through a journey of endometriosis and infertility. She was warring in herself as she's song leading, much like Angelica when she sings about a victory when her dad passes away. She's up here warring in the spirit, and I'm standing over there, a face in the crowd, having just heard this news. And as I'm standing there, I felt pain in my abdomen, and it was so painful that I had to sit down. I couldn't stand. The next day, I was booked in for my final checkup before the surgery, which is going to leave me completely scarred and infertile, but at least I would live. I knew God was doing something in me as a face in the crowd, and I went to my checkup the next day, and the doctor said to me, there's nothing there. It's completely gone. This never happens. Well, I have four children. That was never a problem. And I have never had a trace of that disease ever since. And I just stood there. No one laid hands on me. No one knew me. No one knew the diagnosis. But this is a place where anything can happen. So excuse me for being a little bit passionate and a little bit frustrated when I see complacency because I've seen God move. I've seen him move in my own life. I've seen him move in the lives of others. And I now set a culture of faith, expectation, anticipation. We need to believe. We set a culture of servanthood. So unpopular in our culture. But it's the culture of heaven and it's the culture of the kingdom. You know a consumer because a consumer acts in self-interest. You know a servant because they put others before themselves. Always, not just when it's convenient, always. And so we set a culture of servanthood. The lowest form of leadership is delegation. I need to be willing to do the thing I'm asking someone else to do. I need to be willing to do it first. I need to be first on the ground and last off. I need to be willing to go the extra mile. I need to be willing to serve. And I set that culture of servanthood. Christ himself came into the world not to be a show off, but to serve and to lay his life down. John 13 verse 14 to 16 if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you must also wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. 
Most assuredly, as I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who has sent him. And Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet and he's going, guys, can you please get it? The goal is not to be the one having his feet washed. The goal is to be the one doing the washing. That's the goal. A culture of servanthood. And the quicker we learn this, the quicker we'll be effective as leaders. You know what? If you want to make an impact, if you want to set culture, just get good at dying to self. And do it all the time and really often. When that thing rises up in you, what about me? Don't they know? Kill it. Kill it. Kill it. And do it quick. And the quicker you do it, the more impactful you will be. Lay your life down. And the greatest way that you and I can serve others is to connect them to their Savior, is to point them to Jesus. It's the greatest way we can do it. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Serve them the gospel. Serve them their Savior. Serve them their answer. It's the greatest way that we can serve. Number three, we set a culture of generosity. We are generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. These three things are the substance of our life. Our time, our talents, and our treasure. Those three things are who you are. And we set a culture of being generous with those three things, with our time, our talent, and our treasure. There is a seed portion of each one of those three things, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And a seed, the only purpose of a seed is to be sown. Don't eat your seed, which means don't keep it to yourself. Don't withhold your seed and eat it. Plant it, sow it, give it away. That seed must be planted. And when it's planted in the ground, it breaks and it dies and it grows and it bears fruit. We need a culture, we need to set a culture of generosity. Don't sow your bread and don't eat your seed. Don't sow your bread. Well, what is my bread? Let me tell you what your bread is. John 4, 34, Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Doing and serving is your bread. Doing the will of God and serving others is your bread. It will sustain you. It will grow you. It will nourish you. It will fill you. Make sure you don't consume it and keep it to yourself. Do the will of God. There's a portion for you to sow. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of, this, of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when you realized that Jesus loved you? Do you remember what it was like when you said, me? Really, God, me? Me? In all my mess? In all my stuff? Me? Do you remember when you actually accepted that love? Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. God by nature is generous. And if I truly believe that he upholds me with his generous spirit, 
I can't help but be generous. I can't help but reciprocate that into everyone around me and all the areas of my life. Church, I want this place to be known for its generosity. I want it to be known for its generosity. When we say unmistakably influence our world for good and for God, I want people to say that place is a generous church. That place is a generous church. I want us to be known as ones who lavishly give of our time, our talent, and our treasure among the family of believers first and into the wider community. We set a culture of generosity. And finally, we set a culture of growth. A culture of growth. When I read the Bible, it always talks about multiplication. Nowhere in the Bible are we called to pull back, shrink back, or stay the same. Everywhere in Scripture, there's this concept of multiplication, of adding to, internally and externally, spiritually and naturally. We're called to multiply. We're called to grow our capacity. I was sharing with Xavier this week. I was sitting in the services last Sunday, and I've been a Christian for however long. I don't know. I was 13, and I'm now 40, so I'm no good at maths. What is that, 27 years? Is that right? Nailed it. The Spirit of God said to me, because I, from my very first paycheck, tithed. I've never skipped a tithe. The Spirit of God said to me, I thought your capacity is meant to grow, isn't it? I was like, yeah. So take it to 15 now in the next 27. That's not a lot, an extra 5%, but stretched my thinking. Multiplication, constant growth. And I give over and above that, but now my regular is going to be 15. Because multiplication, because growth, because capacity, because... I want to be more this year than I was last year, and I want to be more the year after than I was this year, and I want to keep growing. Sometimes we can get familiar, and we're doing the things of God, but we've stopped growing. But we set a culture of growth as followers of Jesus. We set a culture of growth from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover. We see this is a principle of heaven. Let's read together as we finish up the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching and he says, The kingdom of heaven, okay, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two and another one, each according to his own ability. It's like those people, you know, who get all the gifts. They can do all the things and they make you sick. Right? So they, he, you know, according to ability. But then there are some of us who get one or two, and, and that's all right because it's according to our ability. Then he who had received, and then immediately he went on his journey. After he'd given all the talents out, he went away. And the, the man who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. And the one who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, 
you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And he who received two came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I gained two more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here it is shiny it's not damaged it's exactly how you gave it to me the lord answered to him and this is something you never want to hear you wicked lazy servant if you thought that i reaped where i did not sow and collected where i hadn't scattered you would have at least put it in the bank to make interest so take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten For everyone who has will be given more in abundance, but to him who does not have or does not multiply or does not grow, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Growth, multiplication. God is expecting a return on his investment. He's invested heaven in you. None of us missed that moment where heaven was distributed. Heaven is inside you. There is a deposit of heaven inside you and God expects a return on His investment. I remember when I realized this, I studied business and journalism at uni. I actually wanted to be a hairdresser. My dad said, over my dead Polish body, you need to go to university first. If you still want to be a hairdresser, after that, you can. So I was like, well, I don't really have any clue what I want to do. And so I actually just put so many random things on my QTAC application. It went from architect to teacher to all sorts of different things. And I put this one on there that was an OP4 and I was like, I'll never get into that, but that would be wild. And so I put it on there and you know, I'm like, God, whatever you want me to do, ha ha. And for my, that one intake, they dropped it to an eight. I got an OP eight and I got in to the OP four course and then it went straight back up. Well, I had my work cut out for me now because all the smart kids. And, and so I studied and I never, I never wanted to go into ministry. Never wanted to go into ministry. It was the last thing that I had on my mind, like the last thing. So I did business and journalism because I was gonna read the Channel 7 News. Thank God I'm not, because who wants to be a journalism journalist these days? But that was my plan. I was gonna live in Tenerife, you know, and I was gonna have a loft, and I was you know, gonna have two male children who wore polos and, and all the brands, and that was my plan. Anyway, I started dating a guy called Sam who had decided to give his whole life to the ministry. And so my plan very quickly changed. And they started saying to me, you've got a gift of communication. I was like, no, I don't. No, no, no. What kind of crazy person wants to stand up there with a target on their chest? Not me, not me. I know what it's like with all the public criticism and scrutiny. You can count, some, you can count me out, I'm not doing that. And they all started saying, no, no, you have 
a gift to communicate. And I didn't want to do it. Then men started writing into the church saying, if that girl doesn't get into the pulpit, we're pulling our family out of church. I'm like, see, Mark, see, I don't, I don't need to do this. I didn't ask for this. And Mark's like, they can leave. You're never coming off a preaching roster. <clears throat> and then I read this, the parable of the talents. I realized he's coming back. And if he has put that in me, he wants a return on his investment. So I reluctantly got myself a preaching coach because I knew I needed to invest that gift and develop that gift because God was going to hold me accountable to it. So I want to ask you today, what is your talent? Have you shoved it in the ground? Are you trying to live off it for your own good? Or are you multiplying it for the kingdom of God? Have you put self aside and you realize God's actually called me to do this? I'm going to do something with it. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.